So go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our series through uh, the book of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that is, as we're looking at a section of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section, Jesus is giving a sermon to his disciples, but then there's a ton of other people listening in, and it is, as others have said, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest person who ever lived. Now, I want to start by telling you about a, a time when back when um, we had just one child. Uh, Josiah was about two years old. We were living in Maryland at that time, and we were attending a small group. And so we drove out that evening. Uh, and we were going down a, a four-lane road, so there's two lanes, you know, going one way, two lanes going the other. And we were in our old Sienna minivan there, um, and I was in the left lane, but I decided to turn into the right, to get into the right lane. Now, I didn't see anyone, there's no one on that road, or at least I thought, so I did a very sharp turn into the right lane, and it turns out that there was a car right there in my blind spot. And so... Your pastor cut off another car. And let's just say that that car was not very, or that driver in the car was not very happy. And that's putting it mildly. Uh, he pulled right up to our bumper and began honking and flashing his lights. And then, because he did, wasn't getting the response he wanted, I guess, he went to the driver's side, to, to, to my side there as I was driving, and he pulled right there and he started giving me hand motions, but I didn't know sign language. So I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what he was trying to tell me. So I gave him a little wave, like a little wave of sorry, but he didn't like that either. And so after that, he then pulled in front of our car and jammed on the brakes. Now we're in the middle of what's called a, it was called Mid-County Highway. It wasn't necessarily a highway. It wasn't necessarily a road. It was sort of like a road highway thing where, you know, cars go pretty quick on this road, but there, there was just us two out there. So he jams on the brakes, both of us stop, and he gets out and starts walking towards the van. And so right there, listen, the glove had slapped. The gauntlet had been thrown down. This guy was threatening my manhood right in front of my wife and young child here. And so I did the only thing that a man would do in this situation here, at least my type of manhood, and that is that I backed up the van and I, and I you know, accelerated quickly away from him and got away from that car. You may be thinking, what a man, right? What a man. That was the end of that story. Never saw him again. But listen, if we do go missing one day, go back to Maryland and search for that guy on Mid-County Highway. Now, sadly, those kinds of situations are pretty common these days. I just came across a story this week about something that happened eight months ago where a man in Manchester was sentenced to 25 years in prison for killing another man in a road rage incident just outside of the mall in Manchester there. And so from what I read, this guy had cut off another guy there near the mall. And the guy who was cut off then got out of the car and walked to the guy in front, the guy that cut him off, walked to his car. Well, the guy that cut him off pulled out a gun and shot him. And I'm assuming there's probably more to the story, but I didn't read everything else that happened. Uh, but the bottom line is that there is now a dead father and another man, a father, 
who is sitting in prison for 25 years. Why? Well, we call it road rage, but if we were to boil it down, it would be anger. Anger. And while I sure hope none of us will ever shoot anyone because we get mad at them, all of us struggle with anger to some degree or another, right? And so how should we as Christians deal with anger? And in this passage that we're going to be looking at, Jesus is going to be uh, preaching about the danger of anger. I almost titled the, pat, the, the, series, or the sermon, Anger Danger. But I figured it wouldn't, wouldn't roll over well, you know, go well with, with this situation here. But Jesus is going to be giving some advice on how to deal with anger and what, should we, what we should do in various situations. And so we're going to go through the entire uh, five or six verses here, uh, but we're going to break it up into four parts. And I'm going to explain what each part means and what Jesus is talking about. So let's go ahead and let's look at the first verse here where Jesus approves the Old Testament command that forbids the act of murder. So let me read verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, before going any further, we need to remember what came before the passage, what we looked at last week. In verse 17 of the same chapter, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We talked about that last week. But Jesus is saying that he's not taking away any of the laws of the Old Testament. Instead, he is fulfilling them. And so Jesus is agreeing here, you've heard that it was said, that we should not murder. He's saying murder is bad. Now, there, there is a difference between murder and killing. In fact, in both in the Old and New Testaments, both of them have different words for murder and for killing. And so killing would be to put to death. To murder is to take one's life through carelessness or neglect. And uh, there would be other situations as well. So Jesus here is specifically speaking about murder, not just killing in general. By the way, as the, you're, if you have the King James Version, it translates it as killing, which would not be a, a, a real, very good specific translation of that, of that word. And so the Bible always speaks against murder, but not necessarily always killing. Uh, but let's go on to the next section here, because he's then going to transi- transition from talking about, you've heard that it was said, meaning don't murder. But then he's going to say, but I say to you. So here, Jesus adds that anger and contempt also amount to murder. So he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So he starts out by talking about the Old Testament law where he says you have heard that it was said. 
That's what we looked at in the last part. But then he says, but I say to you. So Jesus is showing how this law is lived out in light of Jesus fulfilling it. And so the the goal of the law, as we saw last week, is is not to just create a bunch of rules. The goals of these laws were were to get to the heart. And in this particular law, the the heart here is not just don't murder. And if you everything else, you'll be okay. If you beat the guy up in anger, you're fine. But if you don't murder, as long as you don't murder him. No, that's, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus wants to get to the heart. Don't be angry. Now, I'm sure you all have seen pictures of icebergs before. In this picture here, there's an iceberg that's poking out from the water. You see at the very top. And so the top part above the water, I would call that murder. That can be visibly seen. uh, But you can see there that there's a huge amount under the water And I would call that anger. So we don't always see what's underneath. We don't always see the hate or the anger or contempt, but we do often see the murder. And Jesus is saying here, yes, murder is bad. Don't do it. But Jesus says, I want you to give up the whole iceberg and not just the part that's at the top. Don't just not murder. Hey, don't hate, don't, ang- don't get angry at people like that. And he gives an example in verse 22. He says, but, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, what is he saying there? Jesus is saying is that if you are angry with your brother, leading to a harmful action, then that will eventually lead to legal action against you. He's just giving an example here. But if in anger you call someone a fool, you will end up in hell. So, so, so if you murder someone, you'll end up in prison. But if you call someone a fool, you'll end up in hell. What does he mean there? And this is one time where our English translation doesn't serve us the best because the word there that that we have as full is another word in the original language, which is pointing to uh, someone that's unregenerate or unsaved. And so the heart behind it, meaning when it's said in anger, is is that you're wishing that person to hell. And so Jesus is saying that if you desire people To go to hell, then listen, that's where you're going to end up yourself. Not because you used, you know, some magic word that's going to just, oh, off the hell you go. So it's not the the word itself. But it's because if you are at the point where you are wishing people to go to hell, then, then you are in trouble spiritually. Now, I tell my kids not to call people stupid or not to call people a fool. But it's not because I, I think that they're going to end up in hell if they say these words. It's just not nice to say. But Jesus is at a totally different level here. So he, he's saying, don't let your anger build up so much that it's going to bring you to the point of wishing the, the worst of someone, of wishing someone harm. Now, 
Before we go any further, I feel like we need to go off on a small tangent. So the question may come up. If anger is so bad, then why did Jesus get angry? And you know what? I'm glad you asked. And some people may say, well, there's no way that loving Jesus was angry ever. Uh, But unfortunately, for those that think that, that's not what the Bible says. He certainly seemed angry when he was going into the temple and clearing out people, clearing out the money changers and building the cord and whip and pushing out all the animals and all that. But the, the word's not used there, but the word is used in Mark chapter three. And so in this story, Jesus is, uh, it's a Sabbath. Jesus is in the synagogue and he comes across a man that's born with a withered hand. And the Pharisees are hoping to trap Jesus Because uh, they want to see, is he going to heal him on the Sabbath and break the Sabbath? And so Jesus is sort of upset at them for for basically wanting to ignore the man just because they want to trap Jesus. And so he says, he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. So Jesus did get angry at times. But what we must see is that Jesus didn't get angry out of selfishness, out of pride, out of self-interest. Jesus's anger was always a righteous, loving anger. What do I mean? Jesus got angry when people were hurting other people in some way. In Mark 3, the, the Pharisees were putting their pride, trying to trap Jesus, over this man's well-being. So when Jesus, uh, of the clearing the temple story, when Jesus was clearing the temple, we looked at this story a a number of months ago, but by putting all the, the money stuff in the temple where it was, it was preventing foreigners from worshiping God. And so that angered Jesus because the, the Jews were selfishly sort of preventing the foreigners from worshiping God while they were in comfort worshiping God. And, And that angered him. But notice when Jesus did not get angry. For example, 2 Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So he was beaten and he was mocked and he was crucified. And he didn't say a word to them. In response, there's no anger that came out. In fact, it was more sadness for them than anger. But when others were treating other people poorly or preventing people from worshiping God, that's when that righteous anger came out. So just just keep in mind that there's different types of anger. So if someone tries to kidnap one of your kids you should be angry because that should lead you to, you know, you know, want to protect them. And, but watch out when your kid upsets you and don't let that kind of anger take, get the better of you. Let's go on to the next verse or the next two verses. Now and here we see that a disciple of Jesus is responsible to prevent 
murderous acts or attitudes by a brother. And, and really, today, anytime you hear the word brother, it's brother, sister, in Christ. By a brother in the faith. So let me read verse 23. He says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So, as we saw in the last verse, not only are we to refrain from these murderous actions, because he calls anger leading to murder. The anger equals murder, according to him. So not only are we to refrain from anger and from murderous actions, but we're also to keep our brothers and sisters from doing the same. You may be wondering, where do I get that from that passage? Well, let's look at this verse again. Because at first glance, we assume that Jesus is saying that if you have an issue with someone, you should go and work it out with them. But look at what he says in verse 23 again. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that what? That your brother has something against you. So do you love your brother enough to prevent him from sinning and anger. So here you are getting ready to worship God, but you know that your brother is angry at you. And you know that that anger is going to stir up in them some sin. And so Jesus wants you to live out the great commandments. As we've seen before, it's to love God and love people. And he wants you to go and help them in love. Now, I read about a small town in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, that's experienced a lot of division in the past. In fact, these people were so divided at one point that they couldn't even agree on the name of their town. So the town was formed along the river, and it, start, it was started by Catholics, and they called it Derry. And then a bunch of Protestants moved in on the other side, And they called their part of the town Londonderry. So recently, these two sides, I read, have had strong political differences as well. And so back in 2011, the town and I believe the the country built this cycle and footbridge that linked the two parts of the town. So it linked from from the, the city center to the other side. But it was a footbridge, and it was a curved bridge with these sloping pillars, as you can, can see here, that, were, that symbolized coming together. And I have no idea if that bridge worked in the sense that it brought them together, but I do like the symbolism there. They made an effort to build peace together. And as Christians, that is what we are called to do with each other. Not only when we're angry at someone, but when someone is angry with us. Now, the reality is that there's only so much that we can do when someone's angry at us. But as Christians, we're called to at least try. To try. So finally, in the last part of the passage, we see this. And that is that Jesus says 
that disciples must even strive to prevent anger in their enemies. So he says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and to be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So let's remember the flow of this passage. So far, Jesus said, don't murder. And then the next part, he said, don't have attitudes of murder, meaning don't have anger in your heart. And then in the last part we saw, he said uh, to seek peace with brothers, to prevent your brothers and sisters from murdering or from having that anger in them. And then finally, in this section, he says to seek peace with your enemy. And so Jesus's example that he gives in this passage is he's talking about an enemy taking a Christian to court over an unpaid debt. Now, again, this isn't just one example that he's giving on this. And so going to court is never going to lead to happy feelings between two people. It's going to lead to a lot of uh, anger between the two people. And so instead, Jesus is saying, instead of just going through the court process, we should make peace with our enemy before they get even angrier and worse things happen. So how do we do this? How do, how do we make peace with our enemies? And I like how one pastor describes it. He says, in order to make peace, you must know how to take responsibility for mistakes. In a conflict, we can always take responsibility for our part of the problem. If most of the fault lies with the other, our confession may free them to confess their faults. Even if another party refuses to join our quest for peace, we can still apologize and make amends for our part. As a practical matter, peacemaking usually works best face-to-face. Written correspondence is easily misunderstood. In person, face and voice can convey love, hope, and sincerity. So this is good advice uh, for making peace with enemies, making peace with brothers and sisters in Christ. And and listen, young folks, this is good good for making peace with uh, someone that we're dating, someone that we're married to. And so this is good advice all around. In person, heart to heart, confess your, your side of things. So will that fix things all the time? The answer is no. But as Paul says in Romans 12, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So as I begin to wrap up, let me just put everything together. And that is that as Christians, we should hate murder and strive for peace. When I say murder, I'd say murder and anger there. So Jesus says, don't murder. That's a given right there. But not only should we try to stop anger and murder from, you know, from us doing it, but Jesus is wanting us to, do, to stop that in others as well. One example of this in our modern day would be abortion, that we should stop murder of innocent children. But even more, Christians should strive to stop these murderous attitudes. So we should seek to to get the anger out of our life. As we're thinking about 
this and, and maybe you're sitting here today and saying, uh, you know, that's me. That's me. I, I, I have an anger issue. Well, I want to encourage you that one of the best things that you can do to get rid of anger is to grow more in love with Jesus Christ. Because everything looks different when you're in love. When you're out on that date with, the, with that person there, you know, on Valentine's this past week, all those petty things were just sort of pushed aside as you were staring into their eyes, right? They're less bothersome. And yes, we're not dating Jesus, but as you grow more in love with him, you will grow more in your maturity in him. And as you do that, the the, the spirit, the fruit of the spirit comes out in your life. And those fruit are things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So I want to encourage you to strive to get it out of your life before it overtakes you. And to do that, strive to get more of Jesus in your life in the sense of growing in your intimacy with him. So I want to close with this. A few days ago, my wife was getting ready for bed and and I was blabbing about a a video that I had seen on Facebook about these birds, in, in particular about these cuckoos. And again, I'm talking about the birds, not me. And, and after I started telling her the story, she was like, why are you watching bird videos? Are you, are you watching this for, for a sermon illustration? Uh, because apparently my life has turned into an endless search for stories for my sermons, I guess she thinks. But I told her, no, I, I just really find it interesting to watch these birds in these nests uh, because birds, man, are, are, are brutal sometimes. They're really interesting. So anyways, uh, after I told her about it, um, I thought about it, and I was like, the story I just told her would make a really good story for the sermon here. So you can thank her for this one because she reminded me. So through a number of videos here, and the one in particular, the one I was telling her about, I learned that there's a a certain breed of cuckoos that are called brood parasites. And these are animals that rely on others to raise their young. So in one video, a mommy would sneak, a mommy cuckoo would sneak into another nest of a totally different type of bird and then just lay her egg in that nest and then fly off. And her job is done easiest motherhood in the world right there. So the other mommy bird then goes and sits on the nest and then raises, you know, warms these eggs, both hers and the cuckoos there. And then when they hatch, she feeds both hers and the cuckoo. But this is where it gets a little strange here. When the cuckoo hatches from the egg, it instinctually knows that it needs to get rid of everything around it, all the eggs and all the babies that are in the nest with it. So I I decided not to show you the video, but the, this newly hatched cuckoo, like it can't even see yet. And it starts trying to push out the other eggs on its back or the other baby bird. So even before it can see, 
It's knocking other babies and other eggs out of the nest. And so then the mommy bird comes back, not the, not the cuckoo mommy, but the, the, the other mommy. And it finds at one point one bird left in the nest, and it's the cuckoo bird. And, but the, the, the mommy just starts feeding her or feeding the, the, the bird like it's her own. And the cuckoo grows quickly within a few weeks. It's full size. And so eventually we have this full size baby bird being fed by a little tiny adult bird. And, and, and so the, it's, it may be double or triple the size of the mom at one point, overflowing, you know, like job of the hut here, overflowing from the nest. So what we see in this picture, I think, is going to be true for a lot of the passages coming up in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's in particular, it is true for anger. If we're not careful... This right here is exactly what anger will do to us. The exact same thing that cuckoos do in the nest is what anger will do in us. You see, anger sneaks into our life and it doesn't start with this huge thing. It starts very small. But over time, it grows and it grows. And what does it do as it grows? It starts pushing other things out of our life so that it can start to take up more resources. And then it grows even more. And before we know it, it can grow. Anger can grow so big that it can consume us and go far bigger than what we can manage. And that's when we end up in prison for road rage. That's when a spouse wants to leave us because of something we've done to them. That's when our kids hate us because of our anger that we've shown. And so I want to challenge you to bring your anger to the foot of Jesus and lay it before him and ask him to work on your heart. Because once it's in there, you can't get it out in your own power. And and maybe for some of you here today, the anger is so ingrained that you need some extra help. You need professional help. And if that's you, reach out to me. Reach out to me this week, and, and I will put you in touch with a good Christian counselor who can work through these issues with you in a, in a godly and biblical way. But in, whether you're, you're to that point or not, I want to encourage you, bring it to Jesus to get the anger out of your life before it grows and grows and grows and overtakes you. Now, I know I've already said twice that I'm wrapping up, but I want to give you one more thing here. And I did this intentionally, but I wanted to add on one more thing. And this, this will just take a second. Would we all agree that this teaching is really, it's not possible to follow? Meaning all of us get angry from time to time. And Jesus here is saying that if you get angry in a selfish, unbiblical way, then you are equated to being a murderer in the eyes of God. And that's us. Every one of us, whether we've gotten a little angry or a lot angry, every one of us has struggled with anger and we are seen as murderers. Now that's tough. 
That's a tough teaching to follow. That's a tough teaching to hear. But then there's one more part. We're murderers until the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for murderers like you and me. And he went to the cross to save sinful, messed up murderers like you and me. And so when we give our life to Jesus, he takes the penalty for our murder, for our anger, for our hate. And he puts it upon himself. And so, yes, this is a challenging message where he says, don't get angry. But this is also a message of hope because I want to leave you with the idea that there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, turn to him, give him your life, and he will forgive you of your sins, including your anger issues. And he will forgive them through the actions that he took on the cross. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here. And let's spend a moment now in prayer, and then we're going to go to one last song. Let's pray.